This morning's uh, message, it's kind of a standalone, it's not really a part of a series, but it's one that I felt compelled to preach today. Uh, I was praying about what I was supposed to preach, and, and this is where my heart landed. I think God led me here. Um, but I'm a sports fan. Uh, I was never really good at sports. Uh, I was just average at everything and didn't excel at anything. I went to a big high school, so I didn't get to be a part of the teens. Anyway, all that said is, this morning in my mind, I've got a picture of like the halftime with the coach. You know what I'm saying? You've seen the old Newt Rockney or whatever his name was, the, the Notre Dame coach where he's rallying the team at halftime. And, 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 and that's the picture that I have in my mind of what God desires to be accomplished in this place. I believe that God wants me to speak to a people who are in a, in a battle. I believe that God wants me to speak to a people who are, who are in a challenging time. You know, it just seems like if you watch, I'm a pastor, so I get to walk with life with people. And in myself, you know, we seem to constantly be taking blows. I mean, it, it, people have talked to me about it, whether it's health, whether it's finances, whether it's physical, whether it's, I mean, what's happening in our world, what's happening in Afghanistan, what's happening politically, what's happening in our education system. It just seems like we, we just seem to continue to be getting blow after blow after blow. I was reading a book with my kid the other day, and it was a book that he got through a reading program at school, and, and it was interesting how subtly... These ideas, these agendas are woven in to what we're seeing. We watch the Olympics with my kids and you almost want to turn off the commercials because you don't know what the next commercial is going to bring. What thought is, is the next commercial going to, to, to put into my kids' minds? I mean, it's like we're constantly in a battle. And I want to talk to the people who are in the battle today. I want to speak to the ones who maybe you feel like you've been getting punched. Maybe you feel like you've taken a few blows. Maybe you feel like things haven't been what you anticipated because I believe that God has a word for you this day. I believe that God has a word for us that, that we need to hear. And I'm going to pray for his presence as I, as I prepare to preach this word. God, I thank you that we're here this day. And I thank you that we're not alone this day. I thank you that you've placed your spirit within us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that as we listen, as we hear, as we look at your word, you speak to our hearts and lives. Help us to hear, help us to see, help us to know, God, what you need us to know. For myself as the pastor, Lord, I yield myself unto you, asking for your very will to come forth this day. Praying, God, the anointing of the Almighty upon each word that, that they would be used for exactly what you intend. In Jesus' name, amen. So the picture I have, I don't know, some of you will recall this. I'll just say this. I wasn't born then. Uh, 1974, October, it says, uh, 30th, there was a major boxing fight. They had to do it in Zaire, Africa because they couldn't do it here in the United States. And it was Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. And George Foreman was known because he was a puncher. I mean, he could punch people, he'd knock them out, no problem. And Ali, remember, he float like a butterfly and sting like a bee? Uh, that's who he was. And so they were matched up. It was this, this huge fight. It was built, you know, whatever else. There were restrictions on why they couldn't do it here and they had to do it somewhere else. It was a major fight. 
And the fight starts off, and in the first round, uh, uh, um, Ali kind of came out after Foreman, and he realized that his punches weren't having much of an effect uh, with George Foreman. And so the next several rounds, the second round through the sixth round, do you know what Ali did? He just stood there and took punches. For the next six rounds, Ali just stood there and let George Foreman, who was known for his powerful blow, punch him as hard as he could over and over and over again. And finally, I think it was about the eighth round, Ali decided it was time, and he came out and he won the fight, and they were interviewing him afterwards. And do you know what he said his strategy was? What was his strategy? Does anyone know? Well, he got a coined phrase. It rhymes. Rope-a-dope. That was his strategy, was to rope-a-dope. And, and I share that story because as a pastor, I have to imagine, if you didn't know what Muhammad Ali was doing, let's just say you had that old box. Remember those old great TVs that were black and white and the rabbit ear antennas on it, and you were an Ali fan, and you're watching this fight, and you don't know what he's doing, and you're sitting there watching him take punch after punch after punch after punch. And well, what is this dude doing? Does he not recognize this is a fight? Have you ever said that to your football team? Nebraska fans, you don't know what I'm talking about. I can talk. We can all laugh. They won well yesterday. You're watching and you're like, are you going to engage in this moment at all? There's the frustration you have. There's this, there's this passion that wells up within you. Do something. Ali said, I was just roping a dope. Now, he knew the strategy, and, and he knew what was coming, but, but I want to look at the, the moment that happens when we allow the dope to pound us over and over and over again. Because, see, if I'm in his corner, I'm going to scream at the top of my lungs, start swinging! Like, it's time for you to throw a punch every time they come there and they're, they're pouring water in her head, and I don't know if they had mouthpieces then. They're pouring mouthpieces out, and, and, and they're rubbing his shoulders. I'm going to say, okay, go back out there. Now, this is your moment. Now, you go out there, and you start swinging. And you're going to go out there and get punched some more, and I'm going to get into the corner, and I'm going to say, all right, see what you're doing, but get out there and start swinging. You know, as a pastor, that's the moment I feel like I'm in. That's the moment of ministry that God has placed me in this morning. I have seen the dope swinging and swinging and swinging and swinging. I've seen him punching and punching and punching and punching. And church, if you can hear anything this morning, my word to you is start swinging. It's time to swing. It's foolish for us to continue to get pummeled over and over and over again. The time is now to start swinging. I mentioned, I'm not working yet. We're all in a battle. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse, verse 10. It says, finally... Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The reality that you and I have to recognize, I have to start here, because I don't think some of us realize this, you are in a fight. Every one of us, we're in a spiritual battle. Whether you know it or not, there is an enemy who is scheming to destroy you. There is an enemy who is plotting to defeat you. That's what he wants. His goal is that he can punch you hard enough that he'll knock you out. That's the reality. There's no way around it. There's, there's nothing else we can say about it. The, the reality is that we are in a spiritual battle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, For though we live... In the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. We're in a battle. There's a war that's going on. And we have to recognize what weapons we have. We have to know, what, what would you say that, Pastor? We're in a battle and I'm getting punched and I feel like that and I don't know what to do. Every time I look left, every time I look right, I try to do something, but I feel like I'm just swinging at the air and I'm not, I'm not connecting anywhere. What do I do? How do I do this, Pastor? What is it that, that, that we have? What weapon do we fight with? I have a footnote, if I can get to 2 Corinthians real quick, on that, on that, that verse, in verse 4. It says, the weapons we fight with, this is in my, my, my Life in the Spirit study Bible, if you're wondering, our warfare against spiritual forces of evil is against spiritual forces of evil. Therefore, worldly weapons, now someone needs to hear this, such as aggression, Violence, political solutions, human ingenuity, talents, wealth, organizational skills, eloquence, propaganda, charisma, and personality are themselves inadequate to pull down. Satan's strongholds. The only weapons adequate to destroy the fortresses of Satan, unrighteousness, and false teaching are those God gives us, such as the blood of Jesus, the authority of Jesus' name, and the power of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gift. These weapons are powerful because they are spiritual and come from God. Paul lists more weapons. Commitment to truth, righteous living, gospel proclamation, faith, love, hope of salvation, the word of God, and persevering prayer. By using these weapons against the enemy, the church will emerge victorious. I want to tell you there is absolutely a weapon that you can use in your life. There is a weapon that is 100% powerful and effective with the enemy that we are fighting. It will connect every single time. We just have to use it. Ephesians continues in chapter 6. Chapter six. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. So this is, remember, we just read the verses before this. God was saying that we were in a battle, and this is what he's saying about the battle. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. And then it says, stand, after, 
you may be able to stand your ground. After you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your gospel fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in the mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Now, I'm going to do this. Um, Let's see. Tanner, I'm going to give you a privilege if you can answer my question. Got donuts today. There's lots of different donuts. If Tanner can answer this correctly, he gets to pick the first donut out. He gets to get the donut that he wants. Is that fair? I'm going to do this. All right, Tanner. And what I just read, what was the weapon? Yeah. Good, good way to repeat the question so you have time to think. I understand that tactic. What's the weapon in those verses? Okay, what, well, what's the, yeah, it's the Bible. What does he use to describe it? The sword. Thank you. That's the weapon that we're talking about. We talk about helmet. We talk about shields. But, but literally the one offensive weapon that, that is described by Paul in the book of Ephesians is what? It's the sword, which is the word of God. It's the Bible. The word of God is the, the weapon that God has given us in the moment in the battle that we're facing. Now, if you think about the word of God, how did God create in Genesis? He spoke. His word is creative. We read that we, we have the power to tear down strongholds, uh, to tear down arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the word of God. Words have the power. The word of God has the power to create, and the word of God has the power to destroy. It's his word. His word was so powerful that John chapter 1 begins with, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. And later on in verse 14 it tells us the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's Jesus Christ who made his dwelling among us is the word of God. The sword of the spirit is what? It's his word. That's the weapon that we all have in the battle that we're facing. But... We don't use it. We just don't, we don't know it. We don't, we don't proclaim it. We don't stand upon it. We don't let the creative powers and the destructive powers of the Word of God to flow in our life. What Jesus Christ did, the Word of God made flesh. That's the power of the Word. Your forgiveness, your salvation are rooted in the power of the Word, which is the sword of the Spirit. Jesus showed us this. Well, I guess I can read this verse first. The Word of God is active and alive, living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. Funny note on that, just because if you watch the devotion today, um, we've been watching uh, Buddy versus Duff on the Food Channel, and one of Buddy's cooks is named Morrow. So when I read this, I said joints and marrow, and my wife got a good chuckle out of me. Uh, but I didn't want to have to record the whole video again. And I, maybe somebody here says it that way. I don't know. But that's not the way we say it back in Kentucky, so I got made fun of. Uh, anyway, sorry. No one. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Jesus' example in Matthew chapter 4. You see, 
He was in a battle in the wilderness. And the enemy came and he was trying to attack him. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered what? It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, It's also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship to me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And the angels came and attended to him. Now four times there was a phrase that was repeated. Mike, you get to get the second pick on donuts if you can tell me what was repeated all four times. It is written. Mike gets to go, Tanner gets to go first, pick a donut out. Mike gets to go second. See this? See how this works? Pastor Hope, call you on me. How did Jesus combat the enemy? What pattern did he show us for the battle that we're in? We have to know what is written. We have to know the word of God. We have to know what the foundation is that we have. We can swing whatever we want. Too many people are swinging the wrong words. I will promise you, the enemy was distorting the word of God and he was swinging what he thought was a really mighty sword. There's a lot of people that are swinging lots of things, but it's not the word of God. You have to know the word of God. It can't be what Pastor knows. It can't be what Tanner or Mike knows. It has to be what you know. So that when the enemy, whether he comes in in this appearance in in his form or in the form of a man or in the form of an accusation or in the form of an illness or in the form of a problem, you have the word of God that you can swing back in these moments. The word of God is powerful and effective. We just need to start start swinging. You know, and I'm thinking about swinging. There's a story in the Old Testament. If there's a book in the Old Testament, I wish I'd have been in it. 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23 is kind of like the heroes of David's kingdom. Uh, there's books that have been written about it. It's called, it's called David's Mighty Man. And in that book, he he talks about 30 men, but he highlights three of them in the beginning of that book. These were his his mightiest of men that he talks about. And I'll tell you what, you know, you ever read the Bible and you say, why didn't they name people like they do today? And why could their towns be towns like Crawford or Shadron? Instead, they've got to be towns that are hard to pronounce. Roy would read this for me, but he doesn't want to today. He doesn't want to show off his his, uh, pronunciation of, of names. And so I'm going to read this. And if I didn't pronounce them right, you go ahead and tell me later, and I'll say thank you. Um, these are the names of David's mighty warriors. Joseph Bathshebeth, a Tachamite, who was the chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. I'll tell you what. I like that. 
I want to be one of David's mighty men. We may not be able to pronounce his name, but what I can't pronounce is dude killed 800 men with a spear. Okay. So we continue on. Next to him was Eleazar, the son of Dodai, the Ahohite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pastamon, the Mim, for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines until his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. Someone needs to underline that verse. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. The Lord brought about a great victory. Next to him, I guess I should get up here on my, was Shammah, the son of Aji, the Herorite. When the Philistines banded together at a place, there was a field full of lentils. Now, I don't know about you, but I could care less about a field full of lentils, but I guess there was a big deal then. Um, there was a field full of lentils. Israel's troops fled to fled from them, but Shammah took a stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. I want to be in 2 Samuel chapter 23. I want to be known for the battle I fought and the victory that was won. I want to be Eleazar, who, who is known. Why? The scripture said that, that he, and, and in First Chronicles, if you want to read this, because it's in First Chronicles as well, that he and the king stood there in a bunch of Philistines, and they killed them all. How many times did he swing his sword? I don't know, but he just kept swinging. He swung, and he swung, and he swung, and he swung, and he swinged, whatever you want to say. He just kept swinging his sword. He swung it so much that the scripture says his hand literally clave or clung to or froze to his sword. I want to be in. Second Samuel chapter 23. For when someone thinks about me, they say he swung and he swung. That he clinged so tightly to the sword, which is the word of God. He clinged so tightly to that sword that every time he swung it, it just, be- I don't know if these are words, I'm just saying, swing, swung, swang. I don't know. But what I want to be known for is that it became a very part of my hand. There are a lot of Philistines running from the fight. I'm sorry. There's a lot of Israelites running from the fight. There's a lot of people that need an Eleazar who will stand in the middle of their battle. And what I love about this, it's highlighted in First Chronicles. I can read it if I pull it up real quick in my, on my iPhone, on my smartphone. Just kidding, it's in my Bible. First Chronicles chapter 11. Verse 12 says, Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men. He was with David. I paused him in when the Philistines gathered there for battle. At a place where there was a field full of barley, the troops then fled from him. But they took their stand in the middle of the field. 
I want you to think about what God spoke to us in worship. What did God say? How did he reveal himself? He said, the king is standing before you. What I love about this story, I didn't plan that, I didn't sow that. What I love about this story is that Eleazar, the one who clung to his sword, was standing with his king in the middle of the battle. They stood there and they took on the Philistines. When I stand with God, who knows what weapons, what, what, what battles will be won? Who knows what great victory will come? He wasn't alone. He was with his king. God's pretty cool sometimes. That didn't stand out to me when I read this the first time. That was highlighted to me when God spoke to us this morning. Someone says, Pastor, you should pray more when you prepare a sermon so God doesn't have to stop everything so you can get your sermon done. You guys can come forward. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to sing the last song from worship, by the way. I'm sure you're planning on that, but just in case. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39 says, We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. This morning, church, it's time to start swinging. I'm swinging because there's a great victory that is mine. We need a great victory in our homes. Some of you need a great victory in your personal life. We need a great victory in our, in our town, in our, in our county, in our state, in our nation, in our world. We need someone who's going to stand up and just start swinging. It's time to stop just taking the blows, but start swinging back. Know His Word. Know His promises. When someone accuses you of something that's not true, stand upon the Word of God. When there's an enemy who's trying to take something that is not theirs, stand with your king in that battle. Swing that sword until every enemy is defeated. Who benefited from Eleazar's battle? All of Israel. They all came back. They all came back and got the plunders. Maybe, maybe child of God, maybe you're the one. Maybe he's placed a spear in your hand. 
Maybe he's given you a sword that's become a part of you. You're the one who will step up and start swinging. You're the one God will use to bring victory. You're the one God will use to to transform lives. You're the one that God will use to set your family on a completely different direction. You're the one God will use to change the narrative. Why not? I'll make you one promise. You'll never change if you don't start swinging. We can't have victory unless we start swinging. You're not going to win the fight. It can go to the scorecard. You can stand up all 10, 12 rounds. Ali could have made it all the rounds. But I guarantee you, it was going to be a unanimous victory, unanimous victory in George Foreman's favor if he didn't start swinging. We're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we're of those who step up. I'm empowered because I'm not standing alone. God is with me. And even though it may seem we're surrounded, even though it may seem like, man, I've been swinging too long and we're not making any ground, I just want to keep swinging. Because there's a great victory. We're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Really, guys, the battle's been won. The scorecards are in. If you don't know, we win. We win. Just gotta start swinging. Last week we talked about someone prayed for us, and and again it was about unity in the body and being able to pray for others. You know, someone else might need you to swing in their battle for. Someone else might be looking for you to stand with them. Someone else might just need you. Maybe they ran from the situation completely. Maybe they ran back to their tents and and they're cowering underneath their beds. I don't know. But Eleazar wasn't worried about them. He was worried about the enemy who was doing something that he didn't have the right to do. He was worried about the enemy that was standing between Israel and their victory. And so he did whatever it took so he and his king could see the victory that was theirs. Maybe, just maybe, you need to be an Eleazar for someone else. God this morning across this room. I I don't know the extent of the blows. God, I don't know how many times the dope has hit us or the power behind each punch. But God, what I know is that we win. I know, God, that you've equipped us for the battle that we're in and you've given us the sword of the spirit which is the word of God that's the word that was made flesh that's the word that we have before us that's the living and active word that is that is sharp enough to divide even joints and marrow bones and marrow and God I pray for mighty men and mighty women who today hear your voice 
and start swinging. Who are, who are bold enough to take captive those thoughts. Who are bold enough to stand up against the arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. I pray for an Eliezer. To start They lead us in, in this course. I don't want to dismiss. I want us to have a moment where we can put this into practice. You know, I'm Pastor Steve. I want to swing with you. If you're in a battle and you need someone to stand with you on the Word of God, give me the opportunity to pray with you. If you don't know the King, if you can't recognize the King standing before you, you said, I've never even acknowledged that King that you're talking about. Let me talk to you this morning about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords so you can know who your King is. If you're in that battle and you've been taking blows, I I encourage you to get out the Word of God, the Word that is living and active, and start looking for some promises that you can cling to. That when everything else, when everyone else says that's not true, you know that the Word of God says that, and I'm standing upon it. When the world tells you that you're not good enough, or you're not forgiven, or God didn't say that, or God didn't do that, He wouldn't transform you, He wouldn't use you, you hold on to the Word of God that says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I've been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm a new creation. In Christ Jesus. What was old is gone. And I stand before you new this day. Start swinging. Never stop working. Even when I don't see in your word. Hallelujah. Even when I don't feel it. You are moving in life, Scott.
May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may you freeze to the soul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Be blessed. Amen? Amen. Be blessed.